0: right
1: Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello. Welcome. Emotional Savvy. What is that? That's the name of the program. But do we ever stop and think about what it is? So today, as I was uh, getting ready to talk with our guest, I was thinking about we really ought to have a little chat about emotional savvy. And the word savvy itself means practical knowledge or the ability to make good judgments. And that's sure what we want when we're dealing with emotional things, right? I mean, we want to feel we can count on ourselves, that we can make good judgments because we see things clearly. And yeah, we're not always right. We think we see things clearly and they turn out to not be so clear. Or someone shows us who they are and we want to believe it. And after a little while, we find out that that's not really who they are. And we wonder about our emotional savvy. But the fact is that we can have greater and greater emotional savvy and that's why on this show I cover all areas that impact our emotional lives so you know that's that's our mental constructs our values our our beliefs and our thinking our education our spiritual beliefs our spiritual sense of how to behave in the world finances health well-being All of these things impact on our emotional lives, don't they? And so I try to include some of all of that as we go on with Emotional Savvy. It's amazing to me that we're now at episode 73 and growing. Thank you so much for being part of this and thank you so much for sharing this information with others and inviting them to join us here. Always remember, you can learn more about me at forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R-relationship, H-E-L-P.com. And you can join in at my membership circles over there, too, if you'd really like my attention and you'd like to ask questions and things in the threads that we have over there, the webinar system. and. If you come in at the top level, you have two Ask Me Anything calls each month. So a lot going on for you there. So I try to provide pieces of the puzzle, all the pieces of the puzzle, touch on everything. And today we're going to talk about sort of the intersection between health and spiritual well-being and how we present ourselves every day. Because emotional savvy is what helps us heal. The more emotional savvy that we get, whether that's using it as a verb so that we're really with it, or savvy using it as a noun, practical knowledge, the more that we get, the better we feel because we can cope with life. We feel more competent and more comfortable. And most importantly, we feel more confident. And so these things are available to us. And that's why I bring them to you every week. Because we need things that we may not have touched on in our lives, or we may not have met. We can't know everything. We can't know all aspects of everything. We each come from a different background, so that background has predisposed us in some ways. There are hidden things in our backgrounds that are kind of um, causing us to look at life in certain ways. Maybe we have examined those things. Maybe we haven't, but emotional savvy would encourage us to do that to make ourselves really important. I was interviewed on a show yesterday and uh, the host, Heather Picken on La Dolce Vita Lifestyle, she asked me if I had any last important words before we ended the interview. And I said something that I've said before and I'll say it again right here. The most important thing is that you look in the mirror every morning and you are capable and able and willing to say, you matter to know right down to your toes that you matter and being able to hold your own gaze as you look at yourself in the mirror and say you matter and that is not a statement of narcissism it's not a statement of superiority it is a statement of acknowledgement that says i do matter i am an integral part of a lot of people's lives i have a life I choose well. If I'm not choosing well or I haven't chosen well, I am getting better at choosing, and therefore I am developing more emotional savvy. So today we're going to talk about a piece of that that is about healing relationships energetically. And my guest is a shaman. Her name is Carrie Hummingbird. She's a friend of mine, and I was on her show in fact, she has two shows, Soul Nectar and Skills Not Pills. So we've had some great conversations and today I wanted you to bring to you our really pointed conversation on emotional savvy from an energetic point of view. So that's a little bit of a shift from where we usually go and it's an important shift in my opinion. So I was asking Carrie some questions about what caused her to shift to what she calls a state of being that is wide awake. And I think we'd all like to be able to describe ourselves as wide awake. So there's something to look forward to. And how can we shift our life challenges into gifts of wisdom? And those are big things. So what are the stories that we tell ourselves? Do we say, if I leave this relationship, I'll be a bad person? Do we know how to get into the flow rather than be in fear? Carrie and I talked about all these things and way more. So I hope you enjoy this time with Carrie Hummingbird. And really listen to these concepts. See how they would fit for you and how they could improve your emotional savvy. Remember to drop by on Monday evenings on YouTube for my weekly live stream called Help for Toxic Relationships. My YouTube channel is called For Relationship Help. Big surprise, right? So youtube.com slash help. You can subscribe to there and then you will get reminders of the weekly live stream. And on that le- weekly live stream, you can Put your questions into the chat and your comments, and we can really tailor it to what's up for the people who are on the call. So I hope you'll do that soon. Stay tuned. Carrie Hummingbird, you're going to really enjoy this. Hello, and welcome to this episode. This is always an exciting time for me to have a guest. And of course, I love having guests, and today it's someone that I know, which makes it even better. Uh, We're going to be talking with Carrie Hummingbird, and she's written a a very interesting book on self-discovery, and it is called Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. So we're going to talk about that some, and we're going to talk about how did she come to write this book? Where was the lack of self-love, and how did it develop? So I'm sure that you're going to be very interested in hearing from her. So let me tell you a little more about her. I'm going to read exactly what she wants you to hear. And that is that she is the founder, Carrie Hummingbird is her name, and she is the founder of the Skills Not Pills movement. Get that? That's really important. Skills Not Pills. And the host of the Soul Nectar Show and I was delighted to be her guest recently. She mentors people to reinvent their inner matrix guided by the transformational wisdom of the butterfly. Can't you just see the cocoon of metamorphosis and everything right as I say those words? Your life is for you, she says. Live it how you choose. It's your secret conversation with the divine. Welcome, Carrie.
0: Thank you for having me on the show. I'm so delighted to be here, Roberta, and I loved our interview together, too, on Soul Nectar Show.
1: Yes, so we have a whole lot to talk about today, and so I'm going to begin, because of your book, I'm going to begin by asking you the very open-ended question, take it where you will. Um, What's your story? What caused you to get to that place to write that book and do the work you do?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. I love telling my story because every time I tell it, I go, what story? How am I going to frame my story today? So how am I going to frame it today? Well, I'm going to say that I realized uh, at the end of 20 years of marriage and also like 20 years of weekly psychotherapy and (laughs) personal work that there was something really amiss in my life that i needed correcting and i probably wasn't going to find it using all the methods i'd already been using because i didn't work so i i left that situation and what i ended up finding out on my journey over the course of about eight years was that i had a lot of uh psychological programming in my foundation as we all do from our early childhood and from our lives that was influencing everything in my life and that I needed to address it in a different way than what I'd been doing. And so I, I went on this journey uh, to heal it through alternative modalities, through what was for me um, energy healing and acupuncture and um, just self-awareness at a deeper spiritual level. It was in fact, a spiritual journey. So my story is that I, I had some early childhood trauma, you know, and that led to some really big conditioning that led me to um need to find another pathway to love myself. I think that's really the nutshell of the journey, and that for me it was a spiritual journey that led to the healing.
1: Mhm. And were there things in your past, I know you write about them in your book? that caused you to have that awakening in that particular time?
0: Yeah, a lot of pain. <laughs> like, <laughs> tons yeah. of pain. You know, I mean, I think we grow through pain, right, Roberta?
1: Well, we certainly can. You know, some people wisely do. Other people will kind of build a condo and live in it for a long time until they're ready. Some people are never ready. You know, it becomes the story of their life, the story that they tell, the ain't it awful, he done me wrong story. Um, but yes, we can grow incredibly through pain if we can open our eyes and open our hearts to having a new journey.
0: And that's what I did because I, I had this uh, ability to tell stories. I'm really good at telling stories and I always have been. Is The difference now is that I tell better stories for myself. The difference now is that I tell magical, miraculous, beautiful stories for myself so that I can experience those things instead of the other things that I used to tell stories about, which was like, you know, how I was to blame for everything and it was all my fault and, you know, life wasn't fair and, you know, uh, my husband was being mean to me and, you know, my mother was mean and all this stuff. I, I used to tell a lot of stories and that led to more of the same experience until it got to the place where it was so painful that I actually was um, having these nightmares and in the middle of the night where I would walk into this old mansion and uh, walk up to this mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, this thing would strangle me in the dark and I wasn't able to speak. And it was a shrew and it shouted through the mirror at me, I hate you. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like a couple months before I finally said, wow, this is – this isn't getting better. It's getting worse. No matter how much psychotherapy I throw on it, you know, it's just not working for me. And, and I'm, cause I'm continuing to cause suffering to myself and others. And so I said, Yeah, you know, I'll just be bad. If that's who I am, I'll just be bad and I'll leave. And within six months I got my first spiritual teacher. So I think I was, I was at rock bottom, Roberta. So I was really willing to do anything to heal. I was willing to go outside of all the conventional boxes. I was willing to try anything. I was willing to do anything to feel better. And I think that actually helped me to catapult me on the path that I, that I went on over the last eight years to heal because I was willing to do anything. I was that desperate.
1: Hmm. Well, that's a place that, you know, it's sad to come to, but it certainly is that moment of there's nowhere to go except up. So you yeah. can sit at the bottom of the abyss forever if you like, but everything is up there.
0: Can't you get used, any worse than this.
1: <laughs> no, but you, you used a phrase, you said, I'll be bad and I'll leave. What were you referring to leaving?
0: Well, because in my marriage, the story was that I was just, you know, I was just a bad person, actually my whole life, you know, that I was being bad. There was a story that I was just bad and I was the one that was a relationship wrecker and it was all my fault and, I caused everything to happen, and you know, and nobody else accepted any responsibility. Right? It was all me, mm-hmm. and you know, and I fought that for a long time. Like I, I wanted to be perfect. You know, I wanted to be to do everything right. I wanted to people to love me and like me and um, appreciate me, and I, I wanted to do whatever I could to be perfect and to get that love. And at that moment, I just said, "Well, screw it." Obviously it's not going to happen, so what if I just gave in and was just whatever they're saying I am i'll just be me, and if that's being bad, then I guess i'll just be bad and that was kind of my my take on it, and what I found out was that really what I needed to do was was peel up back the curtain and see the conditioning that was creating my self identity and mm-hmm. decide if I wanted that or not you know
1: mm-hmm. if I agreed with it Well, I think you're bringing up a really pivotal point in life is you know often when I'm working with clients and I say all right this is the picture you've painted for me is this the picture you want and there's always that moment when someone goes well is there a choice (laughs) yeah (laughs) right this is the picture and no there is a choice and just like you're so wisely saying Carrie I can paint a different picture at any moment that I want. And I'm not talking about Pollyanna thinking, you know, I'm not talking about denial. I'm saying, okay, I'm looking at this wall that seems to be in front of me and I'm just about to it with my nose, but you know, in fact, I could go this way. And-
0: I love that you're saying that because I I actually was doing that on my healing journey. I started doing that. I started saying, you know what? I know I got these diagnoses. I got diagnosed all kinds of things, you know? So, um, I know I have these diagnoses and they're telling me I'm crazy and this, that and the other thing, but I actually, I think I can change the story. Like I don't think I have to keep that story. And I started doing energy medicine and I started noticing that in my awareness, my world was different. Even if people around me were clinging to the old story, Mm. I was different, and I knew I was.
1: Well, you (laughs) brought up a really good point there, because for all of you listening, when you change, there are going to be a whole lot of people who want to pull you back to where you were. And the reason being, you know, I describe it to my clients this way, Carrie, is particularly if a couple comes in and they've been together for a while and things aren't working. And when you meet someone and you're learning about them, it's like that picture that you see in old detective movies. It's like there's a body on the floor and it's been removed, but they put duct tape around the outline. And so each person in the relationship has this picture of their partner that's there. And they say, now I know where the edges are and I know you get your arm back in there. That's not who you are. You're not that person. And so there's no an allowance for growth. There's no encouragement for growth. It's just, I need to know who you are and I've got that figured. So don't you go changing.
0: <laughs> that biggest one I had to deal with, I was my mom because mm-hmm. I was really, as many of us are, you know, my mom's opinion really mattered to me. Like her opinion of me was everything. So part of what shifted over the last eight years is that I had to let go of that need for her validation because that was holding me back from really embracing and knowing that I was radically changing on the inside and that the rest of my life was demonstrating that change by everything I was experiencing. Like my new partner I attracted who's like the, just so loving, like it brings me just to tears And I think if I really let myself and I'm not going to go there right now, but I, I could really feel like how loved I am. But because of my mom's, like, wanted to keep holding me in this spot of, like, I know who you are and I know your history and, like, being the documentary of my history, according to my mom, I finally was like, wait a second, okay, I'm going to apply all my teachings I learned in my life. So basically, you have a vision of me that you created in your head, and that's who you think I am. And because you think I am that, you're not willing to let it go, because if you let that go, you would have to admit that maybe I've changed, or maybe your perception of me was incorrect, or maybe there's something amiss here, and that you would have to get to know me all over again. That might take some effort.
1: Oh, I think that's true. And I think there's (laughs) another alternative, which is I created the other one the way I wanted her. And now she's showing up different and I'm not so sure I like that because I have to now perceive things differently. So there's resistance to that instead of you
0: have to do work. If somebody in your life changes, like I changed a lot, like, and I light jumped over stuff. Like, I mean, I, I transformed like a Tasmanian devil. Okay. So (laughs) trying to keep up with that has been challenging for my family because they, it's like, they almost can't believe it's possible. And I'm like, I know anything is possible. Right. And I'm demonstrating it through my life. And I have been very transparently demonstrating it the whole way along, including the memoir that I wrote. I actually got the download to uh, the beginning of my spiritual journey. I just started my first uh, shamanic class where I was learning about my senses and perception and the Toltec wisdom of uh, the four agreements and all this stuff. And I was accessing my higher consciousness. And it told me, start writing now because you're charting the course out of madness. And if you don't write it now, no one will, you'll never even believe it. So you need to write it now. Start being really, really honest. So for two years, I wrote that book and I kept wanting it to be done. I kept writing the last chapter. (laughs) I love myself. I'm there. And then I would realize, no not there
1: yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think that's true about writing a book anyway. You know, you just keep hoping that it's done. Um, because I, you know, I've written a lot of books and I have, I have a clear indication. Yep. You got to write this book. And then I have no idea where it's ending is. So I keep wondering, is that it? No,
0: no. For (laughs) me, I met the intention that I'm going to write this book. And by the end of it, I'm going to love myself.
1: Oh, Whoa. well, you really complicated writing a book. <laughs> I
0: know. <laughs> Going to, I love my, is this love? Is this love? Is this, is this it? Have I got there yet?
1: So, what was it that was so attractive about the Toltec way or the shamanic way that caused you to get there? Or was it placed in front of you magically?
0: Oh, it was magically placed in front of me. Um, I actually, it's funny. My mom is the one that introduced me to the person that introduced me to the things that healed me. So it was a, it was a backwards way (laughs) that she, she had a a woman living in her, um, her guest house and the woman, uh, was Gina. And she said, well, you need to hang out with Gina because Gina has been divorced for 10 years and she has a lot to share with you and you could learn a lot from her. So I was very resistant and I did not want this friend. But then I finally realized, well, maybe this friend would actually be good for me. So I got over myself and I went over there and I hung out with her. She introduced me to yoga. um, And she also introduced me to uh, a pendulum and like how to test my body wisdom. And she introduced me to the runes. I'd never even seen those before, Mm -hmm. like how to like do divination and get messages from your higher self. And and then she said one night that she was telling me the story of how she'd been healed by a friend who was a shaman. And that stuck in my head. And I went. Shaman healing fix it, right? And so I went home that night and I typed in, you know I'm living in Austin. So I typed in Google, Austin Shaman fix it (laughs) I Think I ended up with my first teacher Gary Starnes and he's the class that I took and the first thing we started learning in there was the four agreements and It resonated with me because it was so clear and simple. When I read that book by Don Miguel Ruiz, I'd never seen it before. And I wish they would hand it out in elementary schools now. Right. It is so easy that a second grader could understand it. It's that mm-hmm. easy, but you got to, but doing it is a whole nother thing, but understanding it is powerful. And, and I think that also the shamanism. you asked me, about the shamanism path. Why is that? Because I felt different. I felt the shift. Like I had my first healing session with Gary as part of his program, and, uh, and he was drumming, and it was ridiculous, and I was lying on the floor, and I felt like an idiot. My brain was just talking up a storm, like, this is freaking stupid. I'm on the floor. Really? On the floor in some way? I just I downgraded from the couch. I'm on the floor, and he's drumming, and I, and I had enough of the class with him that I knew that I needed to quiet my mind and open my senses, so I did that. And admit that anything might be possible in that moment. Like, do you want the healing? Do you want it to be different? Can you open? And so I just said, Yes, I can. And the moment I made that decision, he stopped drumming. Ugh, this is hard for me because it it was really my first contact with love. Mm. I felt a loving presence come in over me. And um, it just was overwhelming. To feel, first of all, that something existed outside of my body that was real and palpable and I could experience it with my senses. And second of all, that it loved me, whatever it was.
1: That's beautiful.
0: And so he did the healing and um, I felt it. I felt every bit of it. I felt, I felt the, uh, the energy he took out of my heart, the shame. I felt him take the, the shame out.
1: Wow. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's sort of like, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) No, but thank you for being so vulnerable about your story, because we need that kind of opening. But I want to point out that for everybody, that moment that you described, Carrie, okay, here I am. What's up with me? I've been downgraded from the couch, and I'm lying on the floor, and some guy's drumming in the corner. What am I doing? You shifted that to a place of, I've chosen to be here lying on the floor with this person drumming. I've learned a few new things. What if they're right? Let me go with it.
0: Let me try it. Yeah. Let me let me just have like a tiny little ounce of willingness for things to be different in a way that I can't explain. And that is the magic and the mystery of the door I've walked through. And that's what I do now. And as soon as I experienced that, Roberta, you've to imagine like after 20 years of, you know, banging my head against a wall, doing it the way they told me, was the only way I could do it. And I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest. And I'm a smart gal. I mean, I went to an Ivy league school. I'm smart. I couldn't do it that way. And to be having this moment of connection with the divine, as soon as as soon as that happened, I said, I'm doing that. I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. I'm going to do that, not only for myself, but for everybody who wants it. Because like, <laughs> that is like, that's like you've been walking through the desert for like most of your lifetime, and then you just found the oasis.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I know what you're speaking of because I've had these experiences myself in a different context. I was fortunate enough to be walking in the small town library where I spent a lot of time because I didn't really fit very well there. So I was a library nerd. And (laughs) (laughs) I was walking by my favorite section, which is in the Dewey Decimal System, the 100s, Philosophy and Religion. And a book fell off the shelf. Honest to God did. You know, I, I, believe me, I was... There was a shelf. It was a small shelf because it was a small town and a small library, so a small shelf of the 100s, and it was placed over the radiator, and I remember it so clearly because I was approaching it, and a book fell off the shelf, and it was called Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation. And I had been – I took myself to church when I was three because my home was very dysfunctional, and I thought it was nicer over there. And so I had, I had been through all of that they had to teach me, and it wasn't large enough for me. I knew that there was something greater. And how I knew that was one day the minister, I was taking some class, and, and he, he was very much a hijackle, you know, the relentlessly difficult people that I talk about. And, and he, he, I walked in apparently looking quite happy, and he said, Well, what's up with you, smarty? There you go. That's how. That's nice. He was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, how about wonderful? Somebody's happy in this room.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. He couldn't possibly allow that because he was a very dour, short, bald, miserable man. And I knew because his family, he and his wife visited my parents all the time. I knew he beat his wife. Oh my that goodness! Was good. Yeah. So I, you know, I had some inside scoop on this fellow. So when he says to me, "What's up with you, Smarty?" I said, "Well, I've found the answer. You know, I was reading in the Bible, and the Bible says God is love, and it's a full sentence, and and that means that God and love are interchangeable, and that's all I really need to know." And he pulled himself up to a short height, and he said, "Oh, you've got it all wrong. That just means that if you're good, God will love you." And at that moment, I, my head went, Pew, "No!" And off I went to the library. So. I found this book falling off the shelf, and that was the beginning of a whole new journey. Whole new journey. Imagine, 19 years old in a small town that you're not fitting in because you're thinking of other things that other people aren't thinking of. Then you become a yogi. Now, yeah, it is are
0: weird now. It's long definitely be- going straight to hell.
1: <laughs> long before yoga made it to the West, right? Long before. So here I am. I'm doing this. I'm talking about it. I'm showing other people what I've learned. And to them, it to the few people who wanted to learn, it was just curiosity. But to the majority of people, it was sheer madness. And so that was the beginning of a larger journey. So I really relate to the moment that you found that love. Because at that moment, I did too. And no amount of his nasty words was going to take it away and you walked towards it as I did, so I really understand that. And you did it with a very dedicated purpose to say, "I'd like my life to be better."
0: Yeah, I wanted. To, I wanted to exchange stories.
1: You know, <laughs> like okay, <laughs> can I trade like, this one in like a library book, please. Can I trade
0: this story <laughs> in. I actually had, you know, I've since then my channel to the divine creator that speaks through me has been really, really powerful and strong. So I have a lot of faith. I have tremendous faith just because when you experience something like that, you can't help but have faith. And I had one conversation with God where, you know, God said, you know, I'm really tired of tragedies, like tragedies all over planet earth. Like, I don't care whatever you want to do, Carrie, but just create any storyline other than a tragedy and we're good. (laughs) Okay, sure. I'm going to entertain you now. All right.
1: Yeah, great. Now I've I become the cosmic comedian, right?
0: A comedian. Okay, yeah. whatever storyline you like, God, I'm there for you. You know, I'll be, I'll be your jester in the court.
1: You know? There you go. So here you are, Raven, um, and and you're doing this. Um, so interesting. So you know, it's a good point to switch into something that, that is really helpful to other people, which is that you say that you help people shift life's challenges into gifts of wisdom. So talk a little about how you do that and why you do that.
0: Absolutely. So the thing that I find is most helpful is to do a 360 on any situation and see it from like a lot of different angles because I think what really what I noticed in my own journey was getting super trapped in the story that I was telling and then selling it over and over and over oh, and over very and common. over and cementing it in, you know, like <laughs> it's kind of like a spider wraps up the fly in the web and you notice like it really, it wraps it up so tight the fly can't even move. So what I like to do is I like to untangle it and unweave that and and with a lot of questions. And so in that process of asking questions and in that process of untangling the energy because it's also energetic. You know, sometimes question asking isn't enough. Sometimes you've got to rattle the energy. So I like to bring in a rattle. It's just a shamanic tool. You know, it's very helpful. It's a, it's an energy disruptor. Mm -hmm. So when you disrupt the energy and you disrupt the pattern, what happens is that you can start to see it through another window. And when you see it from the other window, you could have an awareness that unlocks the whole thing for you. And it just like, it just goes poof. And that moment is a blessing. That moment is so powerful. It's like freedom in a, like a gust of freedom just like blew over you. You're done with that piece. You don't have to hold on to it anymore. That's the kind of thing that happens. And other people say that's crazy because I ask questions or I have perspectives that are not in the group consciousness. But Actually, I think we live in upside down world. Like I think the way that our consciousness, I like to call it upside down world. And I think, you know what I'm talking about, Roberta? It's like the pain infrastructure on earth is so big that, that we all are born into it. And some people are spared, which is a blessing, but a lot of us are born into it like you and I were in early childhood, born into this pain infrastructure, passed down for generations. And when, you, when you're born into it, you know initially this isn't right, but then you forget over time because the in, you're infiltrated by it, you're infected by it, and it's upside down world. So what I do now that I've kind of re- set, reestablished my connection to the divine creator, which I feel is very imaginative and childlike, is that I flip it upside down, which is really right side up, which sounds crazy at first until you explore it. And then you realize, oh, oh my God, we've been having it all backwards. It's really like this. So it, it's very disorienting at first but then but then you, it starts to f- permeate your consciousness with some light and some love and then things move in a whole new direction so that's what i talk about when i say that mhm it's like that
1: well it's powerful and you know let's go back a step and talk about willingness because when you were telling your story and you said oh well i really want to be validated by my mother that's very important to me Here I'm stepping into a whole new game that she doesn't have a frame for and I am making a choice now. Am I willing to either re-educate or lose the relationship I have with my mother or recreate it in a different form because she doesn't like it? Am I that important? Am I willing to take this journey? And, you know, there are so many mitigating factors when we are about to change or thinking of changing that will keep us small, that will keep us contained, that will keep us in the old story. And when we actually say, you know, no, oh, it hurts to be in here. It's too small. It's too tight. It's too constraining. I need to emerge like your butterfly metaphor. It, it is time to emerge Um there are risks. There are big yes. risks, right? <laughs> and so I'm hearing that you are, you're addressing those risks, which is great. Certainly, I lead people through that too in a different way. But everybody, we've got to be willing to take the risks to have the life we're meant to have. And I mean that. You know, to have the life we're meant to have, there is a path. And when you get on it, that's what we call flow. But when you're fighting it all the time, it's really rough. And, you know, I use this metaphor, Carrie, that if you are in a boat on a river, quite a wide river, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know, five, let's just say it's a small river, it's 500 feet across, and you've got a little boat. And so you're a little bit scared. So you you have the rudder of your boat and you're going along and it's going kind of fast. So you kind of go into shore a little bit and you bump the shore and then you overcorrect and you bump the other shore and you're making this zigzag because every time you get into the flow that will take you swoosh out to the river effortlessly, you go, oh, no, I'm not having any of this. I better go to safety that I know. And for helping people to get into that flow, for helping people to be in the middle. Now- not all the people that i work with are interested in spiritual matters so we don't go there and we don't talk about it in that way but with you we can talk about that
0: <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo! laughs> let's have a woo woo yeah <laughs> conversation
1: that, that actually when you can accept that there is flow and that you want to be in it and you join with that then life is very different isn't it it is
0: and um i really honor what you everything you just said because yeah it is um very uh, important to have a solid structure for yourself, a solid spiritual practice, you know, uh, where you feel safe. Because when you go in the flow, it can be really scary to aspects of yourself. Part of you can be like, yes, I've been waiting for this. I'm so glad it's here. And then other aspects of you sort of hiding out in your subconscious are like, this terrifies me. This doesn't feel safe. Like even – For example, like when I went out to speak, when I published my book, that's a really good example. Publishing my book, oh my goodness, what a risk that was. And my throat would get tight. You know, anytime I would talk about it, I would get like tightness in my throat, like I was being strangled. And I realized over time as I worked with that, that was my inner child was terrified of telling on mommy or telling on daddy or like speaking out when I didn't have permission or, you know, I mean, all that inner child stuff like just came to the surface in my throat. My throat was showing me that I was terrified on the inside. That part of me was that child part. So when I work with clients, like the number one important thing I've learned from my own personal journey that you got to work with the inner child, the inner child has to feel safe or you're going to keep bumping up against the, the shore because it's going to pull you back. Like it doesn't want to let go. It's terrified of something bigger than it that it doesn't understand.
1: Yes. And, you know, what, what I kind of put that in the context of, aside from the boat metaphor, is that when we're, um, when we're in that place of choice, right, th- there is all this fear and the fear that you're not you're going to make a mistake and you're going to be wrong again right that's that- a huge fear yeah <laughs> or that
0: you're going to be called crazy by more people than just your family <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and and that you are you are actually going to um be be in a very purposeful way taking the risk to separate yourself from people that you know and think there is a love relationship but the further you get away from these things when you step outside and you look at them and which is what we help our clients do is is to be able to say well what's your definition of love is that what's existing here is that what love looks like and when people are in that safe place they'll say well no but I'm still looking for that validation and that's that's what many people don't have. We've been raised, you know, I I particularly work with the partners and the exes and the partners of people who I call hijackals, the relentlessly difficult people in life. They're not going to change. So you have to do your inner work to find out what's so. And you so desperately want to believe that this person loves you, yet they're behaving in ways that demonstrate daily that they don't. And coming to that realization of, I'm hooked on hope, which is what hijackles do. They, they are chameleons. So in the beginning, they do what we call love bombing. They be everything that you want them to be, absolutely perfect. And as quickly as possible, they try to marry, move in, or be pregnant with you <laughs> so that they have power over you. And then they can put down that love bombing, that being the perfect person and be their real selves and start taking over power control in the relationship. And so you bought into the beginning person that you met and now you're hooked on hope that that's the real person. And if only, if only you are good enough, quiet enough, less demanding, more patient, more nurturing, more nourishing, um, if only you can love them enough, then they'll, they'll feel loved and then they will release their fear and then they will love you back and everything will be wonderful. Well, it won't. It can't because the other person is trapped in their hijackal nature by trauma that they've had in their, in their earlier life, various kinds of trauma. And it doesn't need to be trauma that, that would be trauma to me. It's trauma to them. And so we, we have to recognize that no, There's not going to be change there, but there can be change in me. Maybe I can adjust. Maybe I can do some things that try some strategies, make some changes, empower myself. And then, and only then, unless there's physical or sexual abuse, can I make an honest decision to leave or stay, particularly if I have children. But if that relationship is your mother.
0: It's hard. Yeah. If it's it's your mom, like, how do you... this is something I'm still in process of, you know, just vulnerably, you know, transparently, I'm still in process of like the quote, right thing to do. You know, I don't know what the right thing to do is. So, because my heart says that's my mom and I, you know, I want to have her in my life. And, but you know, my, my protector coach mentor in my, in myself says, but boundaries with boundaries Mm -hmm. and my inner child says, yes. And, you know, like I love her and I wanted more love. Like, um, so I've had this, it's really interesting. The psychology I've, I've experienced on the, in, on the inner journey. And when I, you know, when am working with clients with the pieces that I've accomplished, you know, this is a journey. I feel like it goes on, you know, your whole life. So you learn, and then you can share with your, your clients, what you learned, right? Like you have to go through it first is like the inner parent. You know, I created this inner mother for myself. That was the mother I always wanted. And because she knows me. She knows everything I want. Like, she's in me, so she gets it. She's in me, so she she feels my inner child. Like, so she knows what the desires are. So that is the one that I turn to now for that nurturing and support to give it to myself. And then I can let my mom off the hook. Right? Mm-hmm. I can let my mom off the hook like, oh, you're not a psychic mind reader like me. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't really know what I need or want. And Maybe even if you did, you wouldn't be able to provide it for whatever reason, like your own Mm -hmm. inner trauma, your own things you went through. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of let her off the hook a bit. And I still have the inner child that gets sucked in, like-
1: Sure, it, you do. It
0: still wants her love, you know. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like how wise I
1: get on the outside, you know. No, <laughs> you know why that is, her. and you know this is such a good conversation. It's you know going a little longer than usual, but I, I, the reason for that is brain development. When we are born, and even before, in our prenatal environment, you know, we have that that desire to bond because we know this is the person that keeps us alive. This is the person that supposedly we're safe with. And even in the prenatal environment, if they weren't happy about the pregnancy or terrible things are going on or whatever, we're starting to feel unsafe. But we have this innate desire that this person be the person who can keep us safe. And we keep buying that over and over and we have to, but our brain isn't fully developed until we're 25. So when we're little, most of the imprinting about our worth is in our early, early life. The language and the, the reinforcement of our worth comes later. But it's when we are welcomed by joy, when we are the center of someone's attention, when we are well-bounded, when we're bound, bonded is what I'm trying to say, when we are seen, heard, known, appreciated, acknowledged, accepted as children. Um, then we go in a different direction. But if we have an adult who gives birth to us who doesn't have the capacity to do that, maybe they don't even have the willingness, but they don't have the capacity because how they've been raised. Um, It is really difficult because we have that psychological bond to that person. We have that physical bond to that person, and we want it to be that person. yeah exactly (laughs) and That's
0: and, that's the rub that's the rub right there you just identified it yeah yes
1: and so we have to really have a talk with ourselves like that person doesn't have the gift to give you they don't have it and yes if they did have it the way they're behaving right now you know they wouldn't give it to you like I remember my mom don't we all? Um, but my mom was a hijacker. We, we, we
0: like, we never forget it. That's it. It's so important. <laughs> That's right. It's so important. We like, we, we commit it to memory. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, well, it's visceral memory. But, you know, my mom, I was taking care of my. I'm an only child. My mom didn't want children. Um, and so I was taking care of her when she was dying. And I, I was still working and raising my children and everything, but I would go to her home every day and make sure that she was okay and that I had nurses coming in and hospice care and everything. And so I was sitting with her one day, just a couple of days before she died. And I said to her, you know, Mom, you've never told me that you loved me. And she said, I know. End of the conversation. Wow. Now, at that moment, of course, you know, I was – older at the time, and I, I wasn't looking for much. I just wanted to really see whether she would give me that at this point in life. Um, but she didn't. But to the last moment, she had to have the power. The fear of ever telling me that I was able to be loved or approved of or accepted or anything was giving away her power over me. And even with her almost last breaths, she was not willing to do that. And so it's important for us to know that a mother, as we're talking about mothers, but it could be a father or someone really important to you, who doesn't have it to give. It's someone that we just have compassionate for and create emotional distance from. They don't have it to give. So you don't go to the hardware store looking to buy your next formal gown.
0: I think the thing that's really confusing, and I know we're, we're probably running over, but uh, is that sometimes also um, the situation of your early years, like in my case, the situation of my early years uh, involved someone who was super alcoholic and violent. Mm. And so the dynamic was that if I acted out as a little child and irritated him, he would beat the crap out of my mother. Right. So my mother became my enforcer and that dynamic gets in your pattern too.
1: Oh, that's huge. I mean, yeah. any, anybody listening who relates to that <laughs> and I just heard about, you know, 4,000 people going, oh, that's <gasps> my story. That's
0: my story. Yeah. And that is super twisted to untangle, not only for myself, but for my mother, because she, she created this dynamic in order to protect herself, but also me. And that created a situation in which she disempowered me from an early age without even wanting to do that. And do you know that after that? She went to school and studied early childhood education. That's how committed she was, t- unraveling it.
1: Ah, uh, well, that's good. Yeah. If in fact um, the information that she received went She's from it's gonna her, help, <laughs> you know, if it went from her head to her heart, you know, yeah. yes, we're going over. But I just want to talk about what you what you were saying about your throat and not being able to express. From a yogic point of view, the throat chakra is very important and it's our ability to communicate but what happens is that exactly what we're talking about your mom the throat chakra comes between the the chakra here and the chakra of the heart and so sometimes we talk from our head and we communicate from our head and and can't communicate from our heart and so everything gets tightened up there and so we stumble over our words. We don't know what to say. We're fearful to speak up. There's so many aspects of this that are tied to things that are not straight-up psychology.
0: I know. They're all in the subconscious and buried in there, and you've got to ferret around and find them.
1: <laughs> so many things to talk about. So I'm much. so glad that you shared your story with us. My guest today is Carrie Hummingbird. You spell that K E R R I, H U M M I N G B I R D. And you find her at Hummingbird.com. She has a lovely gift there for you. She has a free ebook. It's called Reinvent Yourself, Indulge Your Deepest Desires by Becoming Who You Are Starving to Be. And you get that at kerryhummingbird.com slash gift. Don't worry if you're in your car listening to the podcast somewhere without a pen. It's in the show notes. You can see it when you get home. Thanks for being with me, Carrie.
0: Thank you for having me. And I hope that helped everybody out there.
1: Oh, invariably, indubitably, (laughs) it helped people out there. And just know that these podcasts are here to help you. It, whether it's somebody's story, somebody's expertise, whatever it is that we share here, it is designed to help you find something to relate to that will help you on your journey. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You can find me at forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R-relationship, H-E-L-P.com. My YouTube channel has the same name, For Relationship Help. And if you'd like to be part of my work, you can start by becoming a member of my Optimized Circles Safe Place off social media to talk about difficult things. That's at fourrelationshiphelp.com/slash-circles. So thanks for joining us. Subscribe if you haven't, and we'll talk soon. Take good care. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com F-O-R, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.